This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Chapter Three: The Husband and Father. Mrs. Shelby had gone on her visit, and Eliza stood in the veranda, rather dejectedly looking after the retreating carriage, when a hand was laid on her shoulder. She turned, and a bright smile lighted up her fine eyes. "'George, is it you? How you frightened me!' "'Well, I am so glad you's come. Mrs. is gone to spend the afternoon. So come into my little room, and we'll have this time all to ourselves.' Saying this, she drew him into a neat little apartment opening on the veranda, where she generally sat at her sewing, within call of her mistress. "'How glad I am! Why don't you smile? And look at Harry, how he grows!' The boy stood shyly regarding his father through his curls, holding close to the skirts of his mother's dress. "'Isn't he beautiful?' said Eliza, lifting his long curls and kissing him. "'I wish he'd never been born.' said George bitterly. I wish I'd never been born myself. Surprised and frightened, Eliza sat down, leaned her head on her husband's shoulder, and burst into tears. There now, Eliza, it's too bad for me to make you feel so, poor girl, said he fondly. It's too bad. Oh, how I wish you never had seen me. You might have been happy. George, George, how can you talk so? What dreadful thing has happened, or is going to happen? I'm sure we've been very happy till lately." "'So we have, dear,' said George. Then drawing his child on his knee, he gazed intently on his glorious dark eyes, and passed his hands through his long curls. "'Just like you, Eliza. And you are the handsomest woman I ever saw, and the best one I ever wished to see. But—oh, I wish I'd never seen you, nor you me. Oh, George, how can you?" Yes, Eliza, it's all misery, misery, misery. My life is bitter as wormwood. The very life is burning out of me. I'm a poor, miserable, forlorn drudge. I shall only drag you down with me, that's all. What's the use of our trying to do anything, trying to do no anything, trying to, to be anything? What's the use of living? I wish I was dead. Oh, now, dear George! That is really wicked. I know how you feel about losing your place in the factory, and you have a hard master. But pray be patient, and perhaps something—' "'Patient!' said he, interrupting her. "'Haven't I been patient? Did I say a word when he came and took me away, for no earthly reason, from the place where everybody was kind to me? I paid him truly every cent of my earnings, and they all say I worked well.' "'Well, it is dreadful,' said Eliza. "'But after all, he is your master, you know.' "'My master! And who made him my master? That's what I think of. What right has he to me? I'm a man as much as he is. I'm a better man than he is. I know more about business than he does. I am a better manager than he is. I can read better than he can. I can write a better hand. And I've learned it all myself, and no thanks to him.' I've learned it in spite of him. And now what right has he to make a dray-horse of me, to take me from things I can do, and do better than he can, and put me to work that any horse can do? He tries to do it. He says he'll bring me down and humble me, and he puts me to just the hardest, meanest, and dirtiest work on purpose. 
Oh, George, George, you frighten me. Why, I never heard you talk so. I'm afraid you'll do something dreadful. I don't wonder at your feelings at all, but, oh, do be careful, do, do for my sake, for Harry's. I have been careful, and I have been patient, but it's growing worse and worse. Flesh and blood can't bear it any longer. Every chance he can get to insult and torment me, he takes. I thought I could do my work well, and keep on quiet, and have some time to read and learn out of work hours. But the more he see I can do, the more he loads on. He says that, though I don't say anything, he sees I got the devil in me, and he means to bring it out, and one of these days it will come out in a way that he won't like, or I'm mistaken. "'Oh, dear, what shall we do?' said Eliza mournfully. "'It was only yesterday,' said George, as I was busy loading stones into a cart, that young Massa Tom stood there, slashing his whip so near the horse that the creature was frightened. I asked him to stop as pleasant as I could. He just kept right on. I begged him again, and then he turned on me and began striking me. I held his hand, and then he screamed and kicked and ran to his father and told him that I was fighting him. He came in a rage and said he'd teach me who was my master, and he tied me to a tree and cut switches for young master and told him that he might whip me till he was tired, and he did do it. If I don't make him remember it sometime and the brow of the young man grew dark, and his eyes burned with an expression that made his young wife tremble. "'Who made this man my master? That's what I want to know,' he said. "'Well,' said Eliza mournfully, "'I always thought that I must obey my master and mistress, or I couldn't be a Christian.' "'There is some sense in it, in your case. They have brought you up like a child, fed you, clothed you, indulged you, and taught you, so that you have a good education.' That is some reason why they should claim you. But I have been kicked and cuffed and sworn at, and at the best only let alone. And what do I owe? I've paid for all my keeping a hundred times over. I won't bear it. No, I won't, he said, clenching his hand with a fierce frown. Eliza trembled and was silent. She had never seen her husband in this mood before, and her gentle system of ethics seemed to bend like a reed in the surges of such passion. "'You know poor little Carlo that you gave me,' added George. "'The creature has been about all the comfort that I've had. He has slept with me nights, and followed me around days, and kind of looked at me as if he understood how I felt. Well, the other day I was just feeding him with a few old scraps I picked up by the kitchen door, and Master came along, and said I was feeding him up at his expense, and that he couldn't afford to have every nigger keeping his dog, and ordered me to tie a stone to his neck and throw him into the pond.' Oh, George, you didn't do it. Do it? Not I, but he did. Masser and Tom pelted the poor drowning creature with stones, poor thing. He looked at me so mournful as if he wondered why I didn't save him. I had to take a flogging because I wouldn't do it myself. I don't care. Masser will find out that I'm one that whipping won't tame. My day will come yet, if he don't look out. What are you going to do? Oh, George, don't do anything wicked. If you only trust in God and try to do right, He'll deliver you. I ain't a Christian like you, Eliza. My heart's full of bitterness. I can't trust in God. Why does He let things be so? Oh, George, we must have faith. Mistress says that when all things go wrong to us, we must believe that God is doing the very best. That's easy to say for people that are sitting on their sofas and riding in their carriages. But let em be where I am, I guess it would come some harder. I wish I could be good. 
but my heart burns, and can't be reconciled anyhow. You couldn't in my place. You can't now, if I tell you all I've got to say. You don't know the whole yet. What can be coming now? Well, lately Massa's been saying that he was a fool to let me marry off the place, and that he hates Mr. Shelby and all his tribe because they are proud and hold their heads up above him, and that I've got proud notions from you, and he says he won't let me come here any more, and that I shall take a wife and settle down on his place. At first he only scolded and grumbled these things. But yesterday he told me that I should take Mina for a wife, and settle down in a cabin with her, or he would sell me down river. Why, but you were married to me, by the minister, as much as if you'd been a white man," said Eliza simply. Don't you know a slave can't be married? There is no law in this country for that. I can't hold you for my wife if he chooses to part us. That's why I wish I'd never seen you. Why, I wish I'd never been born. It would have been better for us both. It would have been better for this poor child if he had never been born. All this may happen to him yet." "'Oh, but Master is so kind!' "'Yes, but who knows? He may die, and then he may be sold to nobody knows who. What pleasure is it that he is handsome and smart and bright? I tell you, Eliza, that a sword will pierce through your soul for every good and pleasant thing your child is or has. It will make him worth too much for you to keep.' The words smote heavily on Eliza's heart. The vision of the trader came before her eyes, and as if someone had struck her a deadly blow, she turned pale and gasped for breath. She looked nervously out on the veranda where the boy, tired of the grave conversation, had retired, and where he was riding triumphantly up and down on Mr. Shelby's walking-stick. He would have spoken to tell her husband her fears, but checked herself. "'No, no, he has enough to bear, poor fellow,' she thought. No. I won't tell him. Besides, it ain't true. Mrs. never deceives us." So, Eliza, my girl, said the husband mournfully, bear up now, and good-bye, for I'm going. Going, George? Going where? To Canada, said he, straightening himself up. And when I'm there, I'll buy you. That's all the hope that's left us. You have a kind master that won't refuse to sell you. I'll buy you and the boy. God helping me, I will. Oh, dreadful! If you should be taken— I won't be taken, Eliza. I'll die first. I'll be free, or I'll die. You won't kill yourself. No need of that. They will kill me fast enough. They never will get me down the river alive. Oh, George, for my sake, do be careful. Don't do anything wicked. Don't lay hands on yourself or anybody else. You are tempted too much, too much. But don't— Go you must, but go carefully, prudently. Pray God to help you." Well then, Eliza, hear my plan. Massa took it into his head to send me right by here, with a note to Mr. Symes, that lives a mile past. I believe he expected I should come here to tell you what I have. It would please him if he thought it would aggravate Shelby's folks, as he calls them. I'm going home quite resigned, you understand, as if all was over. I've got some preparations made, and there are those that will help me, and in the course of a week or so I shall be among the missing some day. Pray for me, Eliza. Perhaps the good Lord will hear you." "'Oh, pray yourself, George, and go trusting in him. Then you won't do anything wicked.' "'Well, now, good-bye,' said George, holding Eliza's hands, and gazing into her eyes without moving. They stood silent. 
Then there were last words, and sobs, and bitter weeping. Such parting as those may make whose hope to meet again is as the spider's web, and the husband and wife were parted. End of chapter 3